powered by the National Screen Institute. This is The Hats We Wear, and I'm your host, Emily Palmer. Welcome to this limited podcast series, where you'll hear from some incredible individuals who happen to be the alumni of the National Screen Institute. Throughout the show, we'll talk successes, failures, highs and lows, and the journey of life as guests navigate the creative media industries in Canada and beyond. This show is produced and distributed from Treaty 1 territory. We acknowledge the land that is occupied and their traditional keepers, Anishinaabe, Cree, Dakota, and the Métis. This is The Hats We Wear. Have you ever wondered what it means to be a good leader? A leader is a pretty broad term. It can be a boss, a parent, a captain of a sports team, or even the president of a country. Is it a job with a simple checklist of things to do? Or are leaders constantly learning from their teams and working innovatively to get the job done? When I think of a leader, I'm reminded of the director of my high school. The director of the school was a woman who managed around 600 young girls, as a school is girls only. I can still hear the sound of her heels as she would walk the halls and pop her head into classrooms. She even directed traffic at the end of every school day, guiding parents' cars as they would wait to pick up their daughters. And despite having such a huge role to play in keeping students in order, she always took the time to know everyone's name. She always had an open office to listen to concerns and to offer her unique insight. Let's just say she was a woman who wore many hats. Within this episode, we'll hear from Joy Ford-Lowen, CEO of the National Screen Institute. We'll take time to listen to what it means to practice effective leadership and hear about how she led an organization through the rise of a global pandemic. I didn't intentionally set out for for a job in, in the industry, but I did really seek a, a work that reflected who I was and knowing that I'm social. I like to connect dots. I like to shout, cheerlead and working in film and television allows me to do all that. Now working at National Screen Institute, it's even, you know, before a show gets to be on TV or on a screen somewhere, you have to support the talent who are developing these shows and um, and ensuring that there's enough talent out there to have these shows on screens. This is Joy Ford-Lowen. She's the chief executive officer at the National Screen Institute. After growing up in Steinbach, Manitoba, Joy moved to Toronto, where she completed her Bachelor of Arts in Radio and Television at Ryerson University. She has since moved back to Manitoba and has worked for several media organizations, like On Screen Manitoba and the Women's Television Network, to name a few. What sparked Joy's interest in the film and television industries? Where did it all start? Early on um, in in high school, I worked at a radio station after school. I was lucky enough to get a job at CHSM in Steinbach, Manitoba. And I'd go in and I'd be the after-school receptionist. I'd do a lot of um, 
putting envelopes on stamps and uh, answering the phone call. And then in the summer times, I had a PR job where I'd drive the van to all these different events. And I just thought this is, and, and represent the station, give out little gifts and candies and braids and such like that. And I was like, this is so fun. It's so social. And um, that led me to as soon as I graduated, I was 17 when I graduated high school and I was anxious to get out of Steinbeck. So I went to Ryerson. I took radio and television arts uh, in Toronto. And um, while I was there, the second year of the program, they have, you have an internship. And I was very fortunate to get a paid internship at Vision TV. They had just started. This was like the second year after they went on the air and they were desperate for hands, had very little money. And I didn't need a whole lot of money. So I was, you know, um, it, it made sense on both sides. And I would work in the programming and uh, traffic department doing scheduling and, uh, you know, just helping with, um, not helping, actually doing the master control logs. So I got a really good sense of how uh, TV shows are put on the air, um, how they, the decisions that go behind which shows get to be put on the air, and then all of the technical stuff that goes on uh, in order for them to be broadcast. And I love the job, but I just didn't love it enough to stay in Toronto. It was a bit of a grind. So, and the love of my life was in Winnipeg. So I came back to Winnipeg and um, like, what do I do? And throughout all of this, Emily, I mean, I'm, I'm referring to your question that says, you know, when do you know, when did you know that you wanted to do it? It's like, I didn't really know I wanted to do it. I just sort of fell into it. Things just sort of were easy until I got back to Steinbeck in 91. I came back to the city. I came back to the province and it's like, there's nothing here in terms of, you know, my, what I had gone to school for, I had a bachelor's degree, radio and television arts, um, you know, the, imagine getting a job at CKY at the time, it was pretty daunting. I did a bit of odd jobs and I, but I knew that I still wanted to be in, you know, I wouldn't say the industry so much. I wanted to work for TV stations. I wanted to work in TV. So I, did a, you know, a few menial jobs. And then I uh, all of a sudden got on as a volunteer at the Winnipeg Film Group. They were doing their, hosting their first film festival. And I worked for free. And I worked with a lot of really cool people in the basement of the Winnipeg Film Group art space. And I'm like, this is it. And so I really doggedly, determinedly, you know, sort of branched out you know, expanding beyond just television. Um, and I got a job, um, a, a contract work with the National Film Board, uh, helping out with marketing films. And that was pretty cool. And that gave me enough money to move to the city. And then WTN came on board. WTN, known as the Women's Television Network, was established in 1995. And in 2002, it was relaunched under its current branding, W Network. And I worked in programming with the most amazing women and who launched a network. We worked tirelessly and it was, you know, how you and I were talking, you know, earlier about just doing the work you love. And if it means working in the evenings or on weekends in order to, you know, get the job done, that was exactly what WTN was like. We were like, you know, a wow. group of us just working to a cause. We launched the network together and um, all of a sudden we realized that all the work we did in 94 to launch the network we have to keep on doing that 24-7. I'll take a break. Joy first joined the NSI team back in 2005, where she worked as program manager until around 2010. 
and in 2016, she returned to NSI as a manager for programs and development, which only intended to be a short-term position. How were the early years of Joy's NSI career? What made her choose to stick around? And so when I came, when I came to National Security Institute in 2016, it was on a six month, I was there just to do a six month term, um, fill in for a medical leave. And, um, and I just thought, I'm going to go back and work with my friends. And my kids were older um, and uh, they didn't need me in the same way. And I wanted to work. I'm a, I love working. So I, I had a little bit more independence from the family duties. Um, and those family duties are the things that I wanted to do. You know, I mean, I wanted, we, you know, very, I very much wanted to be a mom that was present in my kid's life. Work uh, outside the home was built around, you know, the family schedule and, and needs. And then, so when I came to, to NSI in, in 2016, my kids were at a stage where they didn't need me in that in that in those same ways and um and i needed to you know get back into it and again i mean i i this has been like 10 minutes or 15 minutes into the call and it's like 20 and it's like how many times have i said i like working with my friends like i i like i like to like the people who i work with i care about them and coming back to nsi in 2016 was like yeah i'm you know working with my buddies mm-hmm. i loved it though I loved it. As you can see, six months turned into five years. No kidding. <laughs> That's awesome. In January of 2020, Joy was appointed CEO of the National Screen Institute, just months before a global pandemic hit and lockdowns took effect. What was it like to take on a leadership role during this time? What did Joy learn from it? When I took on the CEO position, I was first, um, I did an interim leadership. And so I stepped in and I remember the email that I got asking if I would be willing to do that. And Emily, it took me two seconds to respond. I'm like, yes, of course. And, you know, they had asked me for, you know, like, well, what would you do? Like, what, you know, what are, you know, how are, how are you going to do it? And within a half hour, like no time, I had a top 10 list of things that I would work on. And because I'd been in the organization for a long time, and I had uh, also been outside the industry. Um, so I had, you know, fairly, you know, good knowledge of that. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I've been on several boards uh, since, you know, 2008. And I chaired um, a board through a time of an organization, um, a financial crisis of the organization, um, and, and we rebuilt it. So I, you know, I mean, I had that kind of experience, but I was going to be, you know, very much in a, you know, I knew the people who I was working with, I I felt that I knew the gig uh, well enough to take it on for an interim period. And it just felt like, you know, when you put on, you know, remember when you, I don't know if it was like for you, but there's, there are certain like, you know, dresses, outfits, um, you know, a a new jacket kind of thing, like, you know, when it's the right jacket for you. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. I know exactly what you mean. Right. You yeah. know, and that's how I felt taking on the CEO role is, or the, the interim role coming into that. It's like, you know what, this is a no, like, of course I'm going to do this. I can do this. I want to do this. And it just felt so natural. The challenge of leading a team remotely through COVID through with, with uh, changed um, programs um, and with limited financial means has been a challenge. 
a personal challenge. Um, and uh, there are times when I've just, yeah, it's like, this is too hard. Um, of course, the Black female is now leading at a time in a pandemic. Of course, of course she is. Of course she is. It feels like I have to work harder in order to, you know, um, to, to, yeah, to stay in the game. But the flip side of that, Emily, is just incredible joy. Looking back over last year, whew, we increased our the number of program like we from the previous year we really delivered programs that were relevant we did a new producers program a few new producer programs we did our strategic plan um, which you know really focused us on our vision mission value but also gave clarity as to why we're doing this work because it's not just a job for us um, we're serving um, here we're supporting storytellers this is not about you know joy lowen ceo at a national screen institute it's not about the national screen institute why we do what we do has an importance for for sure the industry the you know the media industry as a whole but also as a as a country i believe that the support that we provide through our programs to storytelling artists are the stories that are going to be seen on screens that will open doors to conversations to hard conversations they will these stories will help others go aha i get it that's why this this and this is happening i better understand and it's with that understanding that you then like okay, I get it. So then you give a bit more grace. You then engage in conversations. You start to think, you look at literature, you look at, um, you know, different, taking different courses, you see people and what they're doing differently. And then how we come together as a result of that understanding will create, it'll, it, it will create more, more equity in our world for certain. And I actually think it will create more peace. Um, because we, when you understand more about the other, you give room and, 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 and that understanding within you creates a settlement. Like, you know, it's like, okay, I get, uh, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Uh, I may not like it, but I get it. So that all happened last year as well, too, at a time when the world was going through that moment of, you know, trying to seeking to understand. So they will be understood. Um, and at, at National Screen Institute, we realize that we are an important player. We do have a role to play within this. And, you know, June 2021, now I'm looking back at last year. And, and I'm also seeing the year ahead. And I'm just like, whoa, baby, we're not done yet. <laughs> Of course, we have we because it's like we've got to a point where we know what we want to do, why we want to do it, how we want to do it. And so let's now go and do it. And we're developing programs. We're working with partners that are um, uh, just so exciting and that will grow the organization. So going back to the question of, you know, being 
you know, CEO, it's, it definitely is a case of, I don't know if you know the Joseph Campbell quote, but you know, there's, there's a, you know, saying that the, the cave you fear holds the treasure you seek. And at this moment in time, leadership was something that I feared. What do I know? I don't have an MBA. I, you know, don't, my parents were, my mom worked as a, 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 a healthcare aide at a nursing home. My dad, for many years, worked as a laborer and then um, got his dream job um, working as, in policy at the Manitoba Ledge. Um, but they weren't executives. They weren't even management. So what do I know about, you know, executive management? And, you know, I'm just joy. But I do have vision. I do have a belief that we can bring people together through story and how we support those storytellers is critical. That's the essence of what we do at NSI. So for that reason, I feel that in this moment, the cave that I fear of leadership is bringing me the treasure that I seek. It's truly inspirational. Like no wonder you have this, you're, you've been selected to take on this role because you're already so equipped to do it. And I think that just in the conversation between you and I, like I'm an intern, you know, and it's just like looking up to you, it's like, it's, it's so promising and your vision is so clear. So I'm so humbled to have this conversation. Um, in your position, you are, you represent all of those amazing things, not only about NSI, but being a leader that everybody looks up to and appreciates. So that is an amazing answer. And I'm like, absolutely blown away. Um, Emily, you inspire me too, though. <laughs> like, let's not, you know, let's be real about this. Like there are, I have had the benefit of, you know, incredible mentors um, and dear friends of all ages. And I realize that there is something so beautiful about life that, you know, once you get out of high school, you realize you don't only have to be besties with the uh, folks who are in your grade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can have you can have friends from different grades from different schools. <laughs> exactly. And so you know, yes, you may be the intern today, um, but you are uh, what you have brought to the NSI table in terms of. I want to say, you know, I mean, I, and I've said this before, you're the, you know, the, 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 the icing and the cherry on top of the cake that we made last year, the three decker chocolate decadent, whatever your favorite <laughs> cake is, because you've really helped us to see the why and why we're doing this work and, and in speaking with the alumni and speaking with the different members of the team, you're enabling us to tell our stories and while we do the work right because so much of us function like we you know yeah we jokey joke and you know um but we're working hard of course <laughs> all of us yeah. and so having you with us has been just amazing in terms of legitimately bringing out the individual characters and the, the quirkiness, the, you know, moments of surprise, like, uh, you know, I've been working with you for 10 years and I never knew that. Like, how did I never knew that? Yeah, and, yeah. and then also with the alumni, mm -hmm. right? Like what you're, what you're um, drawing in terms of the alumni connection to 
uh, you know, to us as, as staff, but also to the organization. It's just been incredible. So it's good. Like you're not just the intern. You are the intern who has very much brought a very essential ingredient to the NSI table. So I really appreciate that. That's a very, very amazing compliment. So thank you We're so much. We're pretty blessed. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, I, in your bio for the, uh, that you wrote for the Winnipeg Foundation, um, there's so many amazing things that you talked about storytelling. And you said that the first time that you saw a reflection of yourself was from the show Good Times uh, with the character Thelma. Good Times was an American TV sitcom that aired from 1974 to 1979 on CBS. The show was centered around a family of five parents Florida and James Evans, and their three children, James Jr., Thelma, and Michael. The episodes revealed the day-to-day life of the Evans family as they lived in the inner city of Chicago, working to overcome financial hardship. Um, And I wanted to ask you about that, and I would like you to expand on how you saw yourself in that character. I love the show Good Times. Uh, Okay, so it's a Remember, I grew up in Steinbach. Uh, my parents, I'm Canadian born. My parents came to Canada in the late 60s as newlyweds. They wanted to escape. My dad's Barbadian. My mom is Bahamian, so from the Barbados and Bahamas. And um, uh, their families weren't thrilled that they were, you know, my mom married someone other than a Bahamian, I guess. And so as newlyweds, they decided they wanted to escape and they chose to come to Three Hills, Alberta, Canada. Wow. Just southeast of Calgary. They went to a Bible school. Uh, they went back to the Bahamas for a short period of time um, and then came back to Canada because my dad wanted to do more schooling. So when they came back, they came to uh, Steinbeck. I remember the first day I went to school and Steinbeck, my brother and I, and the kids in grade one class, Miss Smith was my teacher, and the kids in grade one class were all just like, you know, as they do with a new student. And then at recess time, they came and they would, you know, they, you know, said hi. And one of the girls, you know, she rubbed my hand, you know, the top of my hand like this. And she's like, it doesn't rub off. And she's referring to my black skin. And I was like, whoa, you know, like, interest, you know, like, you know, like, no. <laughs> Yeah. This is this is how you know, but in all in like in all fairness, I'm like I was the first black kid in that school. Um, we were the first all black family um, in the town, and the people of Steinbach were good to us. But there was no one around that looked like me. No one, and I had only brothers. When good times came around. All this to say that when Good Times was on television and uh, it was a family, you know, albeit uh, living in Chicago as opposed to Steinbeck, but it had an older brother, a middle girl and a younger brother. I was like, whoa, that's me. (laughs) And Thelma did all the things that I was, you know, with, you know, she was, she was very vocal. She was, you know, the, you know, she kept her older brother in check and she took care of her younger brother. You know, she was, you know, yeah. And uh, so I saw myself in that. Um, And, and it was, and I don't know that it, of course, at the time, it didn't mean as much as it does to me. Like I get it now. Um, But it was just so validating to see that there were others like me in the world um, because I didn't see that in my everyday 
and and I loved it. I was crushed when my mom um, uh, was pregnant. When I found out my mom was having another baby, I'm like, but we're not going to be the Good Lambs family anymore. Like it's going to totally throw me, it totally yes. threw me off. I was resentful about so many things about my baby brother Mark. Like, oh, for sure. You know, like you don't fit into good times. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> threw this whole family off. Thanks, Mark. Right. If you're here listening to this, we're upset. <laughs> Oh, and then he was a boy. <laughs> Even I don't need better. I got so many of them. I don't know what to do with them. Take oh, them back. Gosh, no kidding. That's oh my God. I can't imagine my life without my Marky right now. <laughs> it is clear that Joy has so much experience under her belt, whether it be working for several media organizations or participating in numerous boards in Manitoba. Who or what continues to inspire Joy to do the work that she does every day. So I'm going to bring it back to Leah, my daughter. Yeah. She's, um, yeah, she's totally been my inspiration. She, uh, I never aimed to have kids. Um, she was a surprise. Um, and, uh, <laughs> She was definitely a surprise um, and um, came at a time when I was uh, uh, just starting my career at WTN. I had moved into a program management role and, you know, it was great to be a manager of programs because then you could travel to the markets like, you know, France and Vegas and, you know, and, um, uh, and I had just got that job in late November. And then in um, January, I found out I was pregnant. And um, uh, I was like, oh, wow. And, and I almost lost her. Um, it, was, it was, I had to have a surgery at the end of January. Um, and they told me that you will likely miscarry. And it's like, all of a sudden I found out I was pregnant. And it's like, well, no, I need this, this baby's mine. I'm not, you know? Yeah. And um tells you a little bit something about Leah that she survived no problem um and um you know she was ready to be in the world and she has uh you know we we joke in the family that so much comes easy to Leah like she's just okay. you know like she's like you know she's fortunate that way and um as a result, though, she doesn't put a lot of, she doesn't apply herself um, in the way that, you know, if you're from the islands and, you know, black family like mine, you, you work hard. That's just what you do. Right. Um, but she's got enough low in, in her, that, you know, it's, eh, not today, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> and she can get away with it. You know, oh, they get gosh. away with it. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and, um, and she's, she's, the reason why she's inspired me is she um, really wants to dance. Um, she's, she's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, a passion of hers, but she does feel that it's a profession as well. Joy's daughter, Leah, is currently dancing at the Alvin Ailey School in Newark. This is the same school that taught 20-year-old Madonna. And it's a crazy world. Like none of us understand, like, I don't know what it means for her to want to, you know, like, what is this going to do? You know, that kind of thing. But I'll tell you, um, she, um, she is magic on stage. Um, she has presence and um, she 
And there she does give it her all. She does work hard. Um, and she is, um, you know, she's got crazy um, curls and she's just powerful and, um, and beautiful. And um, when she came home last year, she was, you know, um, uh, isolated um, and uh, spent a lot of time by herself, not really liking herself and um and not being able to do that which she's always like physiologically i think right. that there was something at play there too because she wasn't um and um and she worked through that mm -hmm. and she did it by admitting things that were really hard um and and sharing things with us her mom and dad that yeah, we're hard to hear for us as her mom and dad, but she's a kid growing up. This is what you're supposed to do. And, um, or not what you're supposed to do, but it, like, you know, you're becoming, you know, and, and she cared for me in a way that, I mean, I'm well-loved. I've got tons of friends, great family but she took care of her mom in a way that was just, it was unspoken. She just saw and she did. And, um, and I got her, I got like, mom, I'm not finished. I need to dance. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what this means. Um, you know, COVID you're so far away. Um, but I get that you want to dance. So let's, let's continue to move along that path. And so we really, over the last, because of COVID, I got to know my adult daughter and see her as this, like, just, of course, she's mine. So, of course, I'm going to say she's just the most amazing person. But I see her as the most amazing, like, just, like, wow, you are magic. But I will, you know, I can, I can, in this moment, I can honestly say that, you know, what got us through COVID, what got me through COVID was knowing that I had Leah by my side mm -hmm. and, um, and that we were on, you know, we were walking in step together. Um, and, uh, and then she went off and did this, some, you know, like she's back in New York and is, you know, doing okay. For sure. Uh, she's making it, you know? Um, and so that's, yeah, crazy. So she's growing up and doing the work of she's, she's, she truly is practicing her art and through it, she is in a stage of, of becoming. And it's that stage of, it's that becoming process that I just so admire mm -hmm. and um and respect and that's what has inspired me to you know yeah I'm 50 and you know a lot older than she is but you know I too can become I too can you know do the work that um, I feel is in me to do and so together we're on this you know journey of just yeah becoming and as a mother-daughter team it's uh it's Thank you, COVID, is what I say.
This episode was written and produced by me, Emily Palmer, communications intern at the National Screen Institute. A very special thank you goes out to NSI's Joey Lowen, Liz Hover, Chris Vajner, Ursula Lawson, Kaya Wheeler, and Jessica Gibson. Thank you to the National Screen Institute's corporate supporters. Manitoba Sport, Culture, and Heritage, the City of Winnipeg, through the Winnipeg Arts Council, TELUS, Telefilm Canada, CBC, APTN, Bell Media, Directors Guild of Canada, Manitoba Film and Music, RBC Emerging Artist Project, Documentary Channel, CBC GEM, Centre for Aboriginal Human Resource Development, Indigenous Screen Office, Canada Media Fund, The Winnipeg Foundation, Super Channel, Blue Ant Media, National Film Board of Canada, Stantec, William F. White International, and Company 3. And a very special thank you to all of our other supporters. And a big thank you to you for listening to this episode of The Hats We Wear.